0: Wyndham Garden Lafayette
1: From Cafe Vermilionville in Lafayette we're out to lunch with Professor of Finance and Director of the award-winning Birken Road Reports Peter Raschuti. It's business, Acadiana style
0: Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. This is Out to Lunch and I'm sitting in for Christian Mader Apparently, back in the dim, distant past people used to get sick and go to a doctor and get cured and go home We'd pay the doctor for his or her services and everybody would walk away happy that was a long time ago. Now you go to a doctor, you get a battery of tests, you get referred to another doctor who specializes in what you may or may not have wrong with you, your insurance company refuses to cover the tests that your doctor wants, your prescription plan doesn't cover the medications you need, your doctor's large office staff spends weeks sorting out what your insurance company owes the doctor and what you owe, and you end up with a gigantic bill and a worse headache than whatever it is that you drove you to the doctor in the first place. And everybody you know has a worse story than you about their own medical misadventures. In the face of this, there are some truly good people in the medical field who are working to deliver better outcomes for both doctors and patients and to change the nature of the healthcare system itself. Blaine Lindsay is the executive director and southeast division head of a company called Allidade, Louisiana, Allidade is a new type of care company called an ACO, an Accountable Care Organization. Alidaid's function is to move healthcare from a user-pays model, where you pay the doctor for treating you each time you're sick, to an outcome-based model, where the doctor gets paid for keeping you healthy and not having to visit the clinic. Blaine, welcomed out to lunch. Hey, Peter, thank you. Now, most of us have very little idea about how the business side of medical institutions work. Many doctors themselves don't understand the new complexities of the healthcare delivery system. Dr. Andy Blaylock is not one of them. Andy is a nephrologist, a kidney specialist, and also the chief medical officer at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. Our Lady of Lourdes has been in Lafayette since 1949 and maintains a dual purpose to provide the best in cutting-edge medical care and to provide for those who may be least able to afford it. Andy, welcome to, out to Lunch.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: I want to start with you, Andy. The, the dual mission of Our Lady of Lords exemplifies the tensions in the modern healthcare market. Even those who can't afford the exorbitant expense of tests and drugs, they may need to save their lives. It seems like you've been solving this dilemma at Our Lady of Lords for nearly 70 years. Do you have a
1: formula that's worked on a small scale that could be applied to the, the country as a whole? Well, I think it's a, it is part of our mission. It's part of what we've been doing for many years. And it's, it's a focus on uh, the patient as a whole, uh, recognizing that there is a physical and a spiritual part uh, to taking care of patients, and a recognition that when we keep the patient at the center of what we do and focus on providing the highest quality, uh, the highest quality care that we can provide and, and the best patient experience at the end that 's the outcome that, that patients a- and physicians are looking for
0: now, andy the, I guess it 's got to be said that the biggest concern on the consumer' side is affordability uh, you know how do we face it you know, 've had um, what was euphemistically called the Obamacare, and then you've got a new uh, new system that the House has looked at that probably the Senate will look at something else completely different. Uh, how do
1: you deal with the affordability issue? Well, it, that really is the center of what so many patients are concerned about, um, and so many future patients are concerned about. We know that premiums for families now are ranging between twenty dollars and $40,000 a year with six to $13,000 deductibles. It's simply not affordable the way we've got the current system set up, and we not only have to figure out the affordability problem, not just affordable for the patients, but affordable for the system itself. We also have to figure out how to improve access for the patients that we're covering. Well, you have an interesting
0: position because you're the chief medical officer. Now, what does that mean? Are you more on the business side or the doctor's side?
1: I'm kind of a liaison between both. I am a, a, a position in administration as a physician. So my job is, number one, to help physicians do what they do best, practice medicine as unencumbered as we possibly can in this modern day and age, uh, to be their voice to administration, and in turn being the, uh, vo- the, the voice from administration to help them understand all the different issues, the different regulations, different rules, and and try and make it as easy as possible to uh, help them practice and take care of the patients that that they bring to our hospital.
0: I saw an interview the other day with uh, Charlie Munger, who's uh, Warren Buffett's uh, partner, and he was saying we spend too much on tests at the very end of somebody's life. Is that where, is it the too much testing
1: that's making this also uh, difficult? I think there's many different opportunities in the system too much test in general uh, I think is an, is an opportunity. Uh, one that as we continue to increase the interoperability of the electronic medical records, as we make the, the computer systems that doctors, different ho- doctors' offices use, different hospitals use, talk better to each other, I can see if your, your other doctors have just ordered a test I might be wanting to, to repeat. Uh, also, there is a concern about the amount of care provided at the end of life, and to make sure that uh, we're pr- not providing care for the sake of care, but to actually improve patient experience and, and to make sure that we give the very best care to patients at the end of their lives.
0: Now, Blaine, I'll turn it over to you. You're, you are part of the real world attempt at a solution the problem of the provision of healthcare. Your your kind of company, an accountable care organization, has been created to help move the country from a user-pays model of medicine to what is called outcome-based medicine. Can you give us a healthcare for dummies introduction to what all that means, and explain what it
2: is that your company does? Right. the entire healthcare system right now is built on is a, a payment for volume of services, right? So when you're talking about over-testing, you're talking about over-treatment, it's not because providers are inherently looking to do that, it's because the only way you can get reimbursed is by doing those tests. So the more the more tests you do, the sicker the patient is, the higher reimbursement. Um, accountable care organizations came along, first through the Obamacare law, if you will, but have now been put into the permanent side of Medicare to say, um, so you know, this part's not going to be affected
0: even if we see a change in the legislation?
2: Neither of the two bills have touched this program. And the reason is, is because the way it's set up, it's actually working. Um, what Alidaid does is, hopefully you'll never hear of Allidade, um outside of this program. What we do is support independent primary care physicians, most of them focused right here in Lafayette and the surrounding areas, be able to, to change the model from how much health care can I provide to how healthy can I keep my patient, frankly? How, how little healthcare can I provide, at least sick care? And how much preventative care can I keep you healthy, keep you out of hospitals, keep you out of nursing homes? Um, and then the way that the, the payers, it, it's, it's Blue Cross too, it's not just Medicare. The way the payers have set that up, if we are successful doing that it, as independent primary care physicians, then that's the way forward in the healthcare system. It's and it. you
0: know, the part that I really liked, I was reading the background of the company, is your founder basically took nine months off and walked around to see yeah. if, what he could observe.
2: Yeah. He, he hid out. Uh, Farzad Meshashari is the former head of the entire country medical records, so usually I get kicked out of offices when I tell people <laughs> that. He went to Brookings Institution and traveled the country and talked to as many independent primary care physicians as he could, and we believe that, that an independent primary care physician is best suited to help us move into this value-based care world. You
0: you guys enemies? I guess I should have known this before Dr. the Blayla? show.
1: No, absolutely not. <laughs> um, Alladade, um, my own health system has a Health Leaders Network, which is an accountable care and clinical integration network, working on the same thing. And, and it is a recognition that, regardless of what side of the political divide you may be on, uh, what the Affordable Care Act touched off was a transition of volume to value. We can all agree that high-value, high-quality healthcare is what we need to do. And there is, as the Baby Boomer group continues to come through, we've got to get better and smarter at providing the healthcare. One of the things that the uh, accountable care organizations work on is, for example, is, is decreasing ER utilization. We know our ER groups are already overburdened, and if we can find ways of decreasing ER utilization when it's possible, either by getting the patient back to their primary care doctor faster, or just avoiding the ER and going straight to an admission when their doctor says, look, I'm looking at them right now and they really need to come straight into the hospital. It's a decreased cost to the system. From a patient perspective, it's a much better better way of interacting with the healthcare system. And from an overall healthcare uh, delivery, the, the delivery of uh, the healthcare in chronic health conditions is much better done in the primary care offices than in the emergency room.
0: Why is it everybody says that the ER is kind of the, the money-sucking part of the, the equation?
1: Well, there are many money-sucking parts of the equation.
0: It's <laughs> 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 the one that gets picked out, I guess. Um
1: And the ER, the reason that it, it ends up happening that way is they become the catch-all for everything. So we have a mandate in this country, in the emergency room, that you have to get seen when you come to the emergency room. If you come in for a hangnail or a heart attack, we're going to see you. I was thinking
2: hangnail, hangover. (laughs) That would be a a nice model. You know, that's what Allidade's doing is our primary care physicians have pledged to try to get those hangnails into the primary care office and not into the ED. Because for us... With an aging population, every person at some point is gonna need a hospital. It's how can we build the relationship between the hospitals here uh, in Lafayette and across Louisiana and our independent primary care providers to where we're talking, where we're we're working together, we're reducing healthcare spend, we're getting the best patient, best care, best time. And
1: from a a public health perspective, and our emergency room doctors and emergency room nurses will tell you we don't wanna see the hangnails in the ER. They're much better served in, in their primary care physician's offices they can get better continuity of care, better follow-up than an ER doctor that's never seen you before, shouldn't be managing your diabetes and your high blood pressure. So when we can work collaboratively with um, groups like this, it improves healthcare outcomes for everyone combined.
0: Now, Blaine, we have to tell people that you actually are an attorney.
1: Recovering.
2: Okay.
0: All right. I just, you know, it's a disclaimer. We have to start with that. But But what I wanted to get to your background, actually, was the fact that you had mentioned that I think it was your own grandfather, you know, had was was ill late part of his life and and you saw how complex that was
2: Uh, is that sort of what drove you
0: into the industry it
2: it really is um watching him um watching him you know get up put on his nice clothes go to a a a physician's office sit in the waiting room for two hours maybe get to see him if not get too upset to leave and go home and then when he went to see a, a a specialist there were no records in fact to tell you the truth Not much has changed. Last week, my grandmother got sick with pneumonia. She went to a doctor who didn't have access to her records. The doctor just gave her some antibiotics in her home. By the time, by nine o'clock that night, she was on the ground. And it's because the doctor didn't have access to her history of of heart failure that they weren't able to take that into consideration. And so that's what what, what I set out to do, is to really, you know, how can we get all this knowledge that we have in our hands together so that we can we can treat each other is uh, she okay better. by the way she is home now okay yes right. absolutely you're listening
0: to out to lunch i'm peter Raschuti. i'm talking with blaine Lindsay from the healthcare company alladay louisiana and chief medical officer of our lady of lords hospital andy blaylock we'll be right back after this very brief break You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Rusciutti. I'm talking with Blaine Lindsey from the healthcare company Allidade, Louisiana and chief medical officer of our Lady of Lords Hospital, Andy Blaylock. Andy, is there a, um, a shortage of primary care physicians in this country?
1: We know based on the data, based on the, the baby boomer and aging population that we do have opportunity. That, that we do need more primary care physicians in this country. And, and in addition to the number of primary care physicians we've got, and that's part of what was initially answered in the primary uh, in the Affordable Care Act. We have to change how those primary care physicians get paid. Um, number one, the primary care physicians tend to be uh, some of the the least paid in the healthcare industry in terms of physicians. Uh, so the specialists make more money. That they do, okay. and 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 that's part of a first dollar spend mechanism that we've got. And. And we have to not only pay them, but pay them for collaborating uh, with other specialists and improving the outcomes of the care uh, for those patients.
2: And, you know, the <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a morbid joke that I make, but honestly, it may, may bear out to be true. There may be as many doctors that specialize in your left ventricle in Lafayette than there are uh, primary care physicians. <laughs> um, and that's really been an interesting, when you look at the cost of healthcare, you know, if there's more heart doctors, there's more heart problems that pop up. Um, and then, I mean,
0: what comes back to you're sitting in medical school, right? And you're trying to decide what to, uh, what to focus on. And then you're looking at things like, what do they look at? They must look at how much money you could make. Obviously we'll all do that. But, uh, uh, you know, the fact that maybe uh, you're not on call all the time,
1: I mean, things like that? I think there's a lot of things that, that factor into people's individual choices of why they pick the brand of medicine they do. Some of it's interest. That was what mine was. Some of it is healthcare really has changed in the last 50 to 100 years. It used to be they had one book, and they, th- they taught you that, and you, you, you were you're, you know, kind of a, a jack of all trades. Now things are so specialized, I have multiple books on just kidney disease. So really, the the amount and volume of information that's out there is significantly different than it used to be. So the old expectation of, I've got one guy that can take care of everything from surgery to delivering a baby, really is is an older model. And so even primary care itself has become very specialized in what they do and what they offer and how they can work on collaborating care in a way that really healthcare didn't see before 20 years ago.
0: If I was in medical school, I would go into psychiatry because I'm afraid of blood. So that would have been my idea. Don't forget radiology. <laughs> That's another spot for me. The sixty. I don't know if it's too late to do this, but it's. Uh, um, what about um, medical records? Uh, you know, we had some uh, under President Obama. There was some changes there, trying to get that
2: going. Is it a lot better than it was? Is it not complete yet? Every day, our independent physicians fight on the front lines for interoperability. Um, as part of the ACO program, the independent physicians have stood up and said, I will be responsible for my patient. I will be responsible for every penny of their health care spend. Um, and so they are standing screaming from the mountaintops, give me data. I know what to do with it, I want it, just give me data. And it's turned out that that's a lot harder than it says, right? Um, it, it, you need the patient involved, you need the patient demanding their records. You know, we've got our physician standing on mountaintops screaming, there's no mountains in Lafayette. But it's not, it's, it, it's some, some people don't want to share data, but most of it is that the systems do not talk. And how do you find that problem? How do you find that solution? And when you say You're they don't on. talk, is that, I mean, one hospital to another? The, the, the interfaces are, if the hospitals, the two hospitals are on different EHR systems, they are not talking. They, a doctor at Lords cannot pull up a record from another hospital and see what was wrong with that patient.
1: Now, is that partially having to do with HIPAA? Not really. It's not HIPAA. It's just the, the, there was no incentive to the makers of electronic medical records to make their systems talk. It didn't exist before, and that's again another improvement the Affordable Care Act brought is they have now started to place financial incentives not only to the physicians, but to the hospitals themselves to be able to share data back and forth to each other. That's the first step. Getting then health systems to translate and transmit uh, information across to each other is going to be the next phase of where we're going, but it is amazing how complicated that is. HIPAA doesn't really play into it, but there are so many other lines of code, literally, that you have to write in order to make that work. Uh, it's It's a national problem that we're trying to get our hands around. Now, Andy
0: and Lane, this
1: is the part of the show we like to call Let Me Ask You This. Uh,
0: Both of you hire a lot of people. I'm sure you have interview questions that you ask potential employees. I've got a list of 20 interview questions here that were dreamed up by human resource specialists, mostly in Silicon Valley. The object of these questions is to find out something about the way a person thinks. I'm going to ask you one each. I'd like you to tell me what kind of answer you'd expect a candidate for the job to give you and um, how you might answer it. So I'll... uh, Blaine, I'll start with you. A number one through 20, and that'll pick, your, that'll pick your question. I pick one. One. That's probably... What
2: would you do if you were the only survivor of a plane crash? I would run to find the nearest independent primary care provider. <laughs>
0: oh, oh, oh. oh, thanks for being in in on the show. To, In that's order a... to see me through. <laughs> I thought the answer was food, but let's go with that. That is great. All right, Andy. <laughs> Numbers 1 through 20. What do you want? Can I take one? No! (laughs) (laughs) It's like NFL draft style. He's been picked.
2: (laughs) Give me 10. All right. All
0: right. If you could trade places with any other person for a week, famous or not, living or dead,
1: real or fictional, whom would it be? I think if I had the opportunity to trade places with anyone, it'd be Da Vinci. Da Vinci. All right. Um. Da Vinci, I think to me embodies the, the complete Renaissance man. It's, it's, he had a, a spiritual side, he had a physical side. Uh, many people don't know he was a very gifted athlete. Uh, he had, uh, obviously, one of the most incredible minds that the, the world's ever seen, and so that opportunity to peer inside behind, behind that and see what, it, what made it work and see how differently he thought from anything that the world had ever seen before would be uh, an, incredible, uh, an, an incredible thing to see.
0: Now, how close are you coming to do modeling after him? You getting uh, it?
1: Not as close as I'd like. Because <laughs>
0: <Yeah. laughs> everybody just thinks of that, those designs he did, but I had, no, I had no idea he was an athlete. Wow. All right. I'll be thinking of much more, much differently now.
1: Think, think of how much time he spent trying to paint the Sistine Chapel.
0: Oh, yeah. That's right. I've that much time painting a room. They, uh, no, you know, because it was such a great question, Blaine, I'm going to ask you who would, who would be your character in there?
2: I guess what, what the person that I would like to uh, best trade places with would be uh, someone facing an extreme public health crisis. So the prime minister of Japan after the nuclear disaster, and, and and if I could take the knowledge that I've learned in my past in public health and law, you know, how can I apply those principles to a major disaster or to our next major disaster? Right? I was or going to say, look in Louisiana, Louisiana, you might get a shot at this. Right? We periodically we have those. Right. <laughs>
0: So to use your background for good—that is, that is great. <laughs> Better than the Ricky Martin. Oh yeah, that we're not going to even go there. Now, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but how do uh, we? Two questions I wanted to ask uh, ask you. One one was actually to go to Andy is how do you deal with the fact that you've got patients that
1: can't pay? I mean, what what is what is it on a business basis? What is it? Well, we—that's one of the reasons I find it find myself so fortunate to work in a in a uh, faith-based system. So one of our missions is that we don't turn people away for lack of payment. Um, and so um, it's been said that the, the, the public health safety net provides care for people no matter what. And I I think that we're getting better at that net. I think that we do have some mechanisms to make sure people get care. But what's very familiar and popular with everyone, certainly the, over the last couple of weeks, is, you know, whether or not it passes the Kimmel test. And, <laughs> and I think that uh, we have to divine a system that not only will make it affordable for patients, but to give them the access that they need when they need it, not just covering a major public health crisis, certainly like Mr. Kimmel with a, with a, a young it's child coming, with, right. uh, with a heart condition, but making sure that after the the heart condition is taken care of, you give them the, the prolonged care that they'll need uh, and and making sure that it works for the patients that need the, the care and for the rest of the system that, that, that's trying to do that. Some of that is working on the, the, the wellness aspect of this because there's a lot of potential money in the system that you save by preventing people from getting to the crisis point of health care.
0: Now, you work for a not-for-profit hospital, but there are for-profit hospitals. Is it odd that you've got... Two
1: different structures, and the I think there's two different ways of, of tackling the same problem. People don't get into healthcare, I found, because like like my my parents told me, you don't really get into healthcare because you want to make money. You get into healthcare because you want to help people, and they're trying to find different ways of doing that. It just means there's a different funding mechanism to do that. And so the, the faith-based systems the not-for-profits have one way of doing it, and they tend to spend a lot of time and energy, like we do, um, with public outreach and doing things or people that might get uh, caught in the cracks of the system. The for-profit systems find a different way of doing it, and, and their mission is the same, though, is to make sure that we get health care to people when they need it. And, uh, Blaine, I've got to ask you this. I like what you're talking about
2: in terms of out- outcome-based medicine. How do the doctors get paid in that operation? Uh, it's a new experiment in, in medicine. So, if, if the, the ACO program is set up, so if the primary care physician can keep the patient healthier and cut down on those unnecessary and duplicative surfaces, and if the outcomes are better, there's a big quality piece to it, and if they save Medicare, if they save you and I as taxpayers, and these are all measures. All measurable, okay. they save you and I taxpayer dollars. Then the physician's payment changes based on how much money they saved the system. So, so it's it's working, frankly, right now, and it's really taken the focus, like Dr. Blaylock said, to that preventative medicine, to that that personal touch. Uh, to the patient, outreaching to them. I I have a quick story I really wanted to include here. Uh, To example of this is we help our physicians install chronic care managers, which means these are people who don't see the patient, but they call and they check on you. The other day, one of our independent primary care doctors, they called this patient four or five times, couldn't get a hold of them, got a hold of their kid. They got the mom on the phone. She gets on the phone. She ends up bawling. She said, we are actually homeless right now. Right. So the doctor, their care manager, found him a place to live, they pulled the money in the office, and they bought him bed sheets and linens, right? I mean, this is the type of thing, when you put the focus on wellness, and you take the focus off of fee-for-service or how much healthcare you can provide, that we can start to do. And it was something that moved me immeasurably. There's nothing more vital to all of us than our
0: health. Uh, there's very little that's more frustrating to most of us, patients, doctors, and politicians alike, than healthcare. It's an ongoing dilemma that we've been trying to remedy for generations, and the struggle continues in Washington and around the country. We can't solve it all over one lunch at Lafayette, <laughs> Lafayette, but we've made some headway in at least understanding the root causes of some of the problems, and we've been able to see some of the real-world possible solutions. Andy and Blaine, thanks for this informative and fascinating conversation, and thank you both for taking the time to join me today on OptiLunch. Thank great. you very much. Thank you for having my guests on Out to Lunch today have been Andy Blaylock, Chief Medical Officer at Our Lady of Lords Hospital, and Blaine Lindsay, Executive Director, Chairman, and Southeast Division Head of Alladade, Louisiana, an accountable care organization. You can find out more about Our Lady of Lords and Alladade by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. Today's show is recorded live over lunch and Cafe Vermilionville in Lafayette. Cafe V is open Monday through Friday for lunch and six nights a week for dinner with a courtyard That sets the scene for fine Louisiana cuisine. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Anne Christian. Our theme song, Encore Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escudet. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos of this show on our website and Facebook page. These photos were taken today by Gwen Oquan. You can get this show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsacadiana.com and krvs.org. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from Wyndham Garden, Lafayette, located off Pinhook, near Cali Saloom. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is pet friendly, with free parking and free Wi-Fi, and a free shuttle within three miles that includes the airport and downtown restaurants. Additional support comes from A Biz Magazine and AcadianaBusiness.com, the essential information source for business decision makers throughout the One Acadiana region. Out to Lunch is a production of IONO Broadcasting for ItsAcadiana.com and KRVS.com. 88.7 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Cafe Vermilionville for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Joneswalker.com. And by... Short and Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and by Wyndham Garden Lafayette.